Hey, welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and I am going to be reading uh, Hebrews 7 to 13 this week. It is November 6th to the 12th, and this is found in the New Testament of the Bible. Okay, and the teaching tip this week is using art to teach. Oh, I, I think we gave this tip a while back, but just in case, um, art uh, Redheaded Hostess includes a lot of art in their work, and so they have like a artist that they use already, like for everything. Her name's Heidi Carter, and she's really cute with all the the way that she draws all her um, all her images are super cool. So um, says art is a really powerful way to teach all ages, especially children before they learn about Moses and the Red Sea from the written text, they could have, they could have the story written upon their hearts through art that they connect to add or that they connect to and remember before they really know the story of Joseph Smith and the first vision, a piece of art can teach them and help them remember that God, the Father, and Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph in the grave, uh, in the grove of trees. Art is powerful. This is why our artist, Heidi Carter, spends so much time and effort creating original pieces of art every week in the kits. So here are 11 ideas. Also, the picture that they chose to put on this page is so cool, and it's of Moses parting the Red Sea. And she's totally right, because I remember, Faust, when we were walking through the uh, new MTC center in Provo. They have these amazing, uh, art. they have amazing art on their walls and like just life size art. It's like, it's like from ceiling to floor kind of thing. And it really is awesome. And you can like, you almost feel like you're walking with Jesus because some of the art that they have is that big and that awesome. Um, Anyway, but I do remember a piece that Faust really loved, and it was the piece of art where Moses is parting the Red Sea, and he just loved it. He loved it. In fact, I still want to find it somewhere and buy it and put it in our house because it is a magnificent piece of art. Um, anyway, it just looks like the water just looks like there's electricity running through it, and and it's just so cool. Anyway, so here's, so she's right that art can connect us like that because now when when Faust remembers the story of Moses, he'll remember that favorite piece of art that he that he originally saw a while back, right? Same with any of us. Uh, there's got to be those pieces of art that you connect with um, in a special way. I love the piece of art where. Jesus Christ is, and it, this is from Reflections of Christ work, um, and it's where Jesus Christ is holding a woman in his arms, and she's like crying, and he's like looking up to heaven, and just thinking about it, like invokes my emotions, just kind of reminds, just kind of puts into my mind that like even Christ is sad with us when we're sad but he's still there to help us and he will pray to the father for us too so we'll, we're praying to the father then he's praying for us too okay see how art does that oh and then i really like the 
one where the woman with the issue of blood, um, there's a picture from Young Sung Kim, and he draws this picture, and it's just like Christ's feet, and the woman, so Christ's feet, and then his clothes, and then the woman's trying to touch his feet, or touch his clothes, and it just looks like fire. It just looks like she's trying to touch fire, or like that fire happens as soon as she touches him, because when she touches him, he has so much power, and she has so much faith that he has that power, that that is just like a transfer of um, healing and and wholeness and love and just like everything, you know? Anyway, it's amazing. And I got to bring it to church one day and share it with the youth. Sadly, I didn't even get to share it with my own kids, but I guess I need to share it with them um, because I was apparently late to the to the circle because I didn't realize that we had been starting and doing everything right away. So anyway, it was, I really like that piece. Okay. So then, um, we have 11 ideas on how we can use art in our home. Okay. Here we go. Display all week where your family can see it, a fridge, a bulletin board on a picture frame or an easel. Two, have a place in your home where you keep your favorite pieces of art all year. Ooh, I kind of like that idea. Three, print small prints and create a banner of art prints that gets added to each week. Oh, that's kind of fun too. <laughs> okay, like I want to do all the things and it's only number three. Let's see if I want to do all 11, okay? So we can feel really overwhelmed. Um, right for right on the back and use as a note card to send to a family member you can share something you learned from that lesson need need i say more five for a fun activity have your family try to recreate the art using paint colored pencils or whatever else you have on hand okay this one is powerful so we did and it's so true too um so i actually found this painting from this, the Sacred Grove, Joseph Smith's first vision in, from an artist. And I decided that it looked like something I could Q-tip art with, or I could use the Q-tip technique with it, okay? And what's amazing is I did do it, and this was during COVID time. And so I was able to do it. And then we did a young women's activity to do it. Um, and we separated paint and we did all these things. And so um, the young women were able to do their own painting too. And we delivered kits to everybody and it was amazing. And then um, our boys were able to do their own. Yeah, they were little, okay. And then even some young, some YSAs were able to do it. Um, Dad was able to video me doing the painting so that um, so that we could have that video shared with anybody. And it's currently still on YouTube available for whoever wants to watch it and recreate that. But it is so cool. And um, I really loved that art that he had made. Um, and I was like, hey, we can totally recreate that with Q-tip style painting. And it just like the Q-tip style painting I had just learned from my trip to Mexico with my worth sisters. 
And I thought it was a really easy way to paint and anybody could literally paint like that. So anyways, it was just really cool um, and thought, hey, we could share this. And so yeah, a lot of people have done that. In fact, even random other people, my friends that have seen that have done it and have like told me that they did it. So, so it is a great way to recreate art using paint, just like that number five. Okay, um, six, put the art for that week on the fridge and put a sticky note for each family member around the picture with their name at the top of the sticky note. Challenge each family member to learn a personal lesson from the scripture story and write it on the sticky note by the end of the week. Hey, that's pretty cute. Also, everybody has a fridge that they can put stuff on, honestly. Okay, our fridge is not magnetic in the front. Um, I mean, I guess we could use a side, but it's not as much of a reminder. Okay, uh, number seven, use a smaller print as handouts in a lesson. Well, I've done that uh, many times. And in fact, we do that with our primary children and we mail them uh, a postcard every week or every month with the monthly art that they include in their in their kit. So that's amazing. Um, and so you can use that. Number eight, if a story really applies to a specific child, hang it in their room as a daily reminder. Ooh, I like that. Somebody's here and just the Amazon person. Okay. Um, number nine, as you study that story with your family, write things you talked about, goals, things people said, etc on the back of the art. Then keep the art in a folder as a record of your studies and also something your family can look through. Oh, cute. I like that. Okay, 10. For little children, each piece of art can be turned into puzzles. Oh, well, that's true. And then number 11. For older children, they can tape the piece of art onto a window and place a blank piece of paper over it and trace it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, it, you would have to print that piece of art on a thin paper and that blank piece of paper also needs to be thin. So like my 28 pound paper, I don't think that's a good paper because it's thicker than standard regular paper. Um, so you'd need like just 20 pound paper. Print it on 20 pound paper and then have a blank piece of maybe 28 pound paper on top and that could work. So that's an option. In case you're wondering why it didn't work if you tried it. <laughs> okay, Hebrews chapter seven. So what is the role of a high priest or what was the role of a high priest? Jewish high priests under the law of Moses were the presiding high priest of the Aaronic priesthood. The office was by descent or hereditary. The firstborn son in the family of Aaron, the brother of Moses, and the first high priest of the Aaronic priesthood was to be the high priest. One of the main duties of a high priest, besides the regular duties of priests, was to enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, which is the holiest Jewish holiday. The Holy of Holies was within the tabernacle or temple and was covered by a veil. No one was allowed to enter except the high priest, but only he would enter once a year. There would there he would burn incense and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. The high priests were prefigures of Christ, or he was the great high priest. Only he could rent the veil 
that separated us from God. And through his sacrifice, we are able to enter back into God's presence and be safe. This is interesting. Um, because we actually have walked through the Bountiful Tabernacle, or I guess I should say the Tabernacle when it was in Bountiful. And it was the traveling tabernacle where um, it looks just like the replica of like back in the day tabernacle. And you walk in, oh, excuse me, you walk in and then there's the washing and anointings. And then you, and then further down, there's the different, um, the different layers, I guess, if you will. So then you can enter into a area and then you had to, if you wanted to go into the Holy of Holies, there was like even further in. So then like, yeah, you would have like the um, endowment before the Holy of Holies. And then I think, I think it was after the endowment area, then you entered the Holy of Holies or something like that. And then there was like, yeah, there were like all those kinds of steps like that. Um, and it was interesting because or it is interesting because that was back then they only allowed one person specifically one person and they didn't let anybody else there and that person could only go in there once a year the holy of holies but now temples in the celestial room is the holy of holies or the celestial room, the celestial room is the holy of holies and it anyone who is an endowed member can go into the celestial room. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't have to be just the high priest or doesn't just have to be one person. And you don't have to go once a year. You need to go every day if you can. I mean, President Nelson doesn't tell you to go every day, but he's telling you to go more. So if you go weekly, then there you go. There's your, you know, um, instruction. But let me tell you, going every day is an awesome blessing. So anyway, then it says, ironically, this position had been taken over by evil men by the time Christ came to earth. It was the high priest Caiaphas who was supposed to be a representation of Christ, who was at the head of the plot to have Jesus killed. And he put this plot into action while Jesus was fulfilling the sacrifice and renting the veil while he was being the true high priest. Oh, interesting. It's crazy, right? Okay. Hebrews 7. Who was Melchizedek? Okay, so here's, we're going to read from 1 to 6. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. I have to walk slower because I already took a shower and I don't want to take another one. <laughs> okay, verse 2. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither be beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the son of Levi, who received the office of the, of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren, though they come 
come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Okay, so the doctrine here is the higher priesthood. So this is one of the few places in the scriptures where we can learn about the man Melchizedek. He was so righteous that his name was used to identify the priesthood. So what do we know of him? So as a child, he was full of faith and courage. He stopped the mouths of lions and quenched fire. Um, he was, and this was in the Joseph Smith translation, Genesis 14, 26. And he was the king of Salem, see verse one. In Alma 13, 17, we learn that Salem was a place strong in iniquity and abomination and full of all manner of wickedness. Melchizedek received the order of the priesthood and preached repentance and the people responded and repented to such a degree that peace was established in the land. So this is Alma 13, 18. The Bible dictionary identifies Salem as Jerusalem. Because of the people, or because of the peace, he labored to achieve, he was called the Prince of Peace or King of Peace. The name Melchizedek is Hebrew. Malki or Melke means king and Sedek or Zedek means righteousness. So the name Melchizedek means King of Righteousness. Many prophets came before him and many after, but none were greater. It's Alma 13, 19. And then he was the king during Abraham's day, and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek when Abraham returned from a military victory. That's found in Genesis 14, 17 to 24. Enoch preceded Melchizedek, and Melchizedek's people were also translated. Oh, that's amazing. I don't think I ever knew that. So Enoch preceded Melchizedek, and Melchizedek's people were also translated. And that's found in the Joseph Smith translation, Genesis 14:34. It states, And his people wrought righteousness and obtained heaven and sought for the city of Enoch, which God had before taken, separating it from the earth, having reserved it unto the, late, unto the latter days or the end of the world. Okay, that is awesome. And preceded means came before. Okay, um, Hebrews 7, 3 that we've just read. So this verse is now speaking of Melchizedek priest, the, the Melchizedek priesthood, not the man Melchizedek. The Joseph Smith translation clarifies it by saying, for this Melchizedek was ordained a priest after the order of the Son of God, which order was without father, without mother, without descent. So this scripture is explaining that the higher priesthood is not like the Aaronic priesthood, which was passed from father to son or by descent. The Joseph Smith translation also adds in verse 3, and all those who are ordained unto this priesthood are made like unto the Son of God. Receiving the Melchizedek priesthood is requisite to becoming like Jesus. Oh, wow. And now you're looking at all the brethren in the ward who have the Melchizedek priesthood and realizing that they are not just baptized to become like Jesus, but now the Melchizedek priesthood is required to become like Jesus Christ. And so it's like a, it's like they're trying to be like Jesus even more, right? 
And when you have that extra power, it you need to make sure that you're using it to help you become like Jesus Christ and not leaving it idle. Okay. Um, let's see. Then we have verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Melchizedek. So talking about the less is Abraham and blessed of the better is Melchizedek. And here men that die, that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes to Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Huh. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So perfection comes through the Melchizedek priesthood. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. So Christ descended from the tribe of Judah. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Okay, so I'm loving this, that the that perfection comes through the Melchizedek priesthood. And it's so true because in the temple we make covenants and we use that Melchizedek priesthood um, or the Melchizedek priesthood keys are used to help us make those covenants with Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ to help us become like Jesus Christ. Hmm. Hopefully I said that correctly. Jesus Christ was priest prophesied, the priest prophesied of in Psalm 10, 110, and he was not of the tribe of Levi or those who served in the temple and at the altar, but rather Jesus descended from the tribe of Judah. George Buchanan, member of the First Presidency four times under Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilfred Woodruff, and Lorenzo Snow explained it this way. The Jews entertaining error, okay, quote, the Jews entertained the idea that priesthood necessarily came through the tribe of Levi and that the power and the authority thereof, that is, to minister in all things pertaining to the priesthood were confined to that tribe and that no one had the right outside of that tribe to officiate in the ordinances pertaining to God and to mediation between God and the people or the people and God. But Paul very clearly proved in his reasoning with them that there was a priesthood higher than that which had been exercised by the descendants of Aaron, end quote. And that's found, uh, that was from Elder, or yeah, Elder George Buchanan, uh, Joseph Smith, or Journal Discourses is where he, that was found. Okay, then verse 15 to 21 says, and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, meaning Christ, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before 
for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. And for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an, an oath. But, th but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the, this is the oath and covenant. And then for those priests that were made without an oath, that's the ironic, is without an oath, I, I guess. Didn't know that. Okay, and then um, it says, now here Paul is addressing the specific prophecy. There will yet arise another priest that will hold this same priesthood, which is not the Levitical priesthood, which came because the people lived a carnal or lesser law, but a priesthood that is the power by which man and woman can gain endless lives, or more clearly, eternal life. Without the Melchizedek priesthood, man cannot gain eternal life. And if you think about it, without it, we can't receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, without it, we cannot receive great and everlasting covenant of marriage. Without it, fathers and mothers could not be sealed to their children. And when these ordinances are performed by the power of the Melchizedek priesthood, they cannot be broken. And so Paul is pointing out to these Jewish Christians that abandoning the church where this priesthood is present is far more serious than they are realizing. He is opening their minds to the eternities. Then in verse 8, 17, Paul quotes Psalm 110, 4, which is the Old Testament prophecy that the Jews should know. And Joseph Smith explained these same doctrines in this manner. So there's so two priesthoods, okay? The power of the Melchizedek priesthood is to have the power of endless lives, for the everlasting covenant cannot be broken. What was the power of Melchizedek? Twas not the priesthood of Aaron, which administers in outward ordinances and the offering of sacrifices. Those holding the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood are kings and priests of the Most High God, holding the keys of power and blessings. The Melchizedek priesthood holds the right from the eternal God, and not by descent from father and mother, and that priesthood is an etern as eternal as God himself, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. All priesthood is Melchizedek, but there are different portions or degrees of it. All the prophets had the Melchizedek priesthood. End quote. Oh, nice. Joseph Smith's teachings of the presence of the church, chapter 8, the everlasting priesthood. Okay. And then we have verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly, and then 23, and they truly were made, were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself, for the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, 
which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Okay, so they're talking about the law is the law of Moses. Okay, Paul con contrasts the priests in the Levit Levitical priesthood or Aaronic priesthood with Jesus Christ who holds the Melchizedek. The job of a priest is to be a mediator between man and God or to intercede in their behalf. Elder Bruce Armacomke explained verses 22 to 24 when he said the contrast in their ministries of intercession between the Levitical priests and that great high priest is striking. They were many, but one, he but one. They served during their mortal lives. He continues to plead in immortality. Ooh. End quote. Found in the doctrinal New Testament commentary. So Christ is able to save us to the uttermost or to exaltation. The ironic priesthood alone cannot do that. Also, the priests were imperfect and had to offer up sacrifices for their own sin, and then they could offer them for the people. But Christ is holy, harmless, and undefiled. So why would these Jewish Christians abandon the great high priest in order to return to imperfect priests? Yeah, um, probably just because they were in their comfort zone, you know, which is funny because I don't know if I could ever learn and get comfortable with sacrificing animals and things. So maybe I would have been one of those people that's like, what? We don't have to make sacrifices? Yeah, I'm in. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we know that there's no growth in the comfort zone. Okay. Um, Hebrews chapter 8. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So a true and eternal sacrifice for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. So the priests are types of Christ. Who serve, so verse 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, but how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So the gospel in its fullness. For finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I make with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. 
So this is what the fullness of the gospel brings, okay? And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, for from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Okay, so the principle here is the gospel written in, is the gospel written in your heart. So the Jewish Christians retreat back to the Jewish religion and to the high priests that are there. Paul points out that we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. So why would you leave him for others? And then cue the song, uh, where would I go? You know, um, can't remember what it's, it's from the Lamb of God, though, but you remember which song it is. Okay, the explanation about priests on the overview page this week will provide you with the understanding needed for verses 1 to 6. Um, the Joseph Smith translation in verse 4 in the footnotes is what these verses are centered around. And unfortunately, most Bibles in the world do not have it. It says, therefore, while he was on the earth, he offered for a sacrifice his own life for the sins of the people. This is Joseph Smith translations, Hebrew 8, 4. Verse 5 points out that every high priest every high priest sacrifice and ritual within the tabernacle and later the temple was meant to point people to Jesus Christ. How is the fullness of the gospel, which includes all the blessings from and through the Melchizedek priesthood, better than the preparatory gospel, the law of Moses, and the limitations of only having the Aaronic priesthood? This question is what Paul is answering by explaining that Christ was always going to make a new covenant that will be different than the covenant with their fathers. And this covenant will have such power in our lives that it will be in our minds and written in our hearts. And this promise extends to the least, to the greatest. Paul is pointing out that the fullness of the gospel and the power of the ordinances available to us through the Melchizedek priesthood provides us with what we need to truly come to know the Savior, all of us from the least to the greatest. Elder D. Todd Christofferson explained it like this. So, quote, so it is in the church today, join in faith, we teach and edify one another and strive to approach the full measure of discipleship the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. We strive to help one another come to the knowledge of the Son of God until that day when they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. End quote. Elder D. Todd Christopherson, October 2015 General Conference. So I love that the Lord understands his people. If you notice, okay, now I'm just taking some scriptural uh, liberties, okay? But if you notice, the law of Moses and the Aaronic priesthood is like the still leading them to Christ, but in a, in a way that those people could understand and that helped those people specifically come into Christ. But now there's new people, okay, children of those initial people who need something different and who need something more because they're progressing, okay? 
And, you know, I bet that back in the day, they would talk about the rising generation, just like they talk about the rising generation now, and how those children needed a little bit more um, to help them come unto Christ, and that Christ saw that they were ready, you know, and Heavenly Father thought that they were ready to receive Christ and to receive that new covenant, which is, um, and that new priesthood, which was the Melchizedek priesthood. And, you know, clearly, he was preparing them, right? And so when, when you're preparing somebody for something else, you know, you're going to give, like, you're, you kind of pre prepare them like, hey, what do you do when you prepare to get a present? What do you do pre to, to prepare to eat dinner, right? Well, you set the table and you do all these things to make it look nice. And you do, yeah, I mean, we don't do that all the time, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just like giving an example. So you prepare it, right? And it looks nice. And then... <laughs> And then it's, but it was prepared so that you could have dinner. So you could have the actual meal, right? It's like one step. And so that's why it seems a little bit crazy to the, to, to Paul, because it's like, are you kidding? Like we were preparing and that's what, now we have the Melchizedek priesthood. This is going to be better. This is better than, than just preparing for the Melchizedek priesthood. This is better than just preparing for Christ. Now we have Christ. Okay. So it's, it was hard for them to figure that out. Cause you know, when you set the table, it looks so nice. You don't want to ruin it with like food. Cause then you have to go do the dishes. So yeah, there's more responsibility once the dinner comes, but, <laughs> but it's worth it. Cause then you get to eat, right. And you get to fill yourself. Um, but what I was going to say is I can kind of see that pattern also, like not that they have changed the priesthood or anything like that in these days. Um, but in our day, when we were going to the temple, the temple was, uh, let's give an example, like the temple sessions say certain words and the temple, or I should say the temple ordinances for the uh, endowment session or for the uh, initiatory ordinance. Okay, so those ordinances had specific words um, being shared with us and they were supposed to bring us closer to Christ, right? Well, there were certain things that were that they said that kind of, you know, made us curious or that would help us to come into Christ if we were to maybe research some things on our own scripture study and, you know, kind of ponder those things, right? And we needed to figure some of those things out on our own because that is what we needed. Well, now... When we go into the uh, initiatory ordinance or the or partake of the um, endowment session ordinance, then like what's crazy is they've changed the wording, but it's so much easier to understand, and I think I think it's going to help our youth so much as they continue to grow and get to go to the temple, you know, and it's going to be easier for them to understand what, who Jesus Christ is for them, who, who they're striving to have a relationship with. And I think it's just awesome how they have changed it. But that just goes to show you that every generation of people need different things and that the Lord is aware of that. And although his priesthood is still the same, there are certain things you can change, kind of like you don't need three-hour church anymore. Now we need two hours of church, right? Because the people need different things 
um, because they're different people. Like if they stri- if they started trying to tell us that we need to start killing birds and whatever and bring them to the temple, do you know how crazy that would be? Like that would be so crazy. And so like they did not, he could, they, they wouldn't, I mean, you know, the Lord can do anything. I'm not limiting him, but you see what I'm saying? Like every people need different things to bring them closer to Christ. And so um, the traditions will change. Oh, excuse me. The traditions will change, but the, but the Melchizedek priesthood is always going to stay the same. Does that make sense? Um, but they're going to try and make it, the Lord's always going to try and make it easier for us to come unto him. So he's being mindful of those, of our youth and of the people that we are raising so that he can, you know, consecrate all the things that we may, that we are doing and maybe all the things we're not doing and help, you know, compensate for that and then help them come closer to him through those, um, through those, I don't know, like ordinances in the temple, but through the words that they use, right? Because the words that they use can be changed some. Um, so anyway, that's, I just wanted to say that I thought, I think it's cool. And it is, you know, sure, some people might think it's really like they preferred it better when it was in the past. But, you know, like I'm looking forward to that day when hopefully they, you know, have endowment sessions take 30 minutes instead of two hours (laughs) but hey you know maybe this is not what I need and he knows what I need best so he knows that I need a two-hour session um to slow down right okay and then there's another principle is to not settle for shadows the Hebrew Christians would have been very familiar with the step setup and practice of the tabernacle. So Paul uses this point to point to the, whoops, Paul uses this to point them to Christ. He hasn't done this in any other epistle because he was writing directly to Jewish Christians this time. There is such a powerful lesson as we observe Paul's various approaches as he preaches the gospel and how he finds ways to connect and teach different individuals. See what I'm saying? Just like we wouldn't give the same lesson to a class of six-year-olds as we would to a class of 16-year-olds, Paul finds ways to teach different groups according to their life experiences and individual understandings. So in chapters 9 and 10, Paul uses the tabernacle within the law of Moses to explain that it was all about Jesus Christ. For example, he uses phrases like patterns of things, which are the figures of the true a shadow of good things to come. And in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance. And the message of those is don't settle for shadows. Seek for the fullness. Christ is the fullness. Okay, so yeah, because a lot of everything is symbolic, right? And um, I love that he uses patterns of things because the pattern can change. Traditions can change. you know, how we read our scriptures can change, but do we still read them? Yes. Can we now access them in our phones? Yes. Can we now access them in paper also? Yes. So it's just like, it's just the way that we access things. 
um, and the way that we do things can change. But uh, because there's no wrong way to come unto Jesus Christ. And so we just need to make sure that we are using those tools and coming to Jesus Christ and not um, and not settling for those shadows that he that he's going to be talking about. Okay, so we're now on chapter 9, page 4. Okay, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, oh, so they're talking about the tabernacle. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden sen censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing in shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holy, holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So this is a similitude of what is yet coming, which was a figure or similitude, like I said, for the time when then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience or the soul, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. But Christ being come on high, and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes of an heifer shrinking, sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Okay, so we're at number 14. So they are talking about the traveling, ta or the traveling tabernacle, because their tabernacle was able to travel around with them, right? And so they needed a way to uh, be able to set things up real quick and then take them down when they were on the move. And we have actually seen this tabernacle in person. Now, it's a replica. They're just trying to help us see what they did in the back in the day. So if you go to tabernacleutah.com, you'll see it. We went to one that was in Bountiful. Um, and then they actually came here to American Fork. So that was pretty awesome. Um, and even our youth were able to help out if they were available. 
sadly, Finn was not available because he had a bunch of soccer stuff. Um, but it was pretty cool the way that they uh, had it set up. And it was called, or it was, it was pretty much the same way. And the thing that whew, stood out to me the most was that there was this, like, this big bin area called the uh, Altar of Sacrifice. And you would just bring your animal there and, like, you basically killed it and put it in there. So you had to bring a live animal with you, and then you would kill it and put it in there. And I was like, that is not anything I would ever do. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, like, how much blood would there be? But then they had, you know, the the, the laver, the laver. Um, and that's where you were going to wash your hands and things like that. So, um, I guess that's okay, but... Um, it just felt like really gross if people were to actually do that. So, you know, I commend those peeps for doing that, um, that gross thing for the Lord. But the second they would have told me like, Hey, you don't have to do that anymore. I would have been like, nice. I would have been like, this is amazing. This is the best thing ever. This has got to be for real, you know, but I guess some of them really like doing that. Who knows? Maybe you maybe you start liking it and enjoy it or something. I don't think I could ever get used to that. Okay, I still don't like chicken or touching it. Okay. Um, so some of the symbols of the tabernacle are the, al the altar and labor. Laver? Labor. I don't know how to say that. Paul does not refer to the objects in the outer courtyard symbolizing the celestial world or mortality. In this chapter, the altar of sacrifice is the symbol of the need for sacrifice and obedience in the path back to God's presence. The laver, laver is a basin filled with water used for washings. It symbolized the need to be washed from the sins and influence of this world. Baptism before we go, we can progress further toward God. Then the holy place, verse 2, describes the first chamber of the tabernacle or the holy place or the terrestrial world, and those who enter in are now closer to God. Behold, or be, behold, below are the items within the holy place. So the candlestick called the menorah in Hebrew provides light for the tabernacle. The seven branches of the menorah do not hold actual candles. The top of each of the branches contains a bowl that is filled with pure olive oil that has consecrated that has been consecrated. A wick placed in each bowl is lit to provide light for the tabernacle. The light coming from the menorah symbolizes the perfect, pure, perfect or pure light of the Holy Ghost who bears witness to truth and shows the way back to God. The table of shewbread, the table spoken of by Paul is often referred to as the table of shewbread. Twelve loaves of bread are placed on the table on two stack, in two stacks. While the Bible does not mention it, most scholars in Jewish traditions believe that wine was also placed upon the table. These objects are like the emblems of the sacrament, symbolizing the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. The priests would partake of these emblems every Sabbath. Shoo, what are you doing? Okay, the shoe is coughing. 
Okay, altar of incense. The altar of incense is placed directly in front of the veil, separating the holy place from the holy of holies. The high priest places incense on the hot coals of the altar in the morning and evening. The sweet smell and smoke of the incense gently rise to heaven, symbolizing that one can approach the presence of God through prayer. Okay, then we have, and if you think about it, the way that this is set up, it's like set up similar, similarly to the actual temples that they have now. Um, not that that wasn't an actual temple for them, just like that. Anyways, so instead of a traveling, traveling temple, we just have temples in our cities. And there's more and more and more being added, which is so amazing. Okay. So, the, let's see, the Holy of Holies, verse 3 to 5, describe the second chamber of the tabernacle or the Holy of Holies, or celestial world. This portion of the tabernacle symbolizes being in the presence of God. So, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was a box covered in gold placed in the Holy of Holies. Special items were placed in the Ark, including a golden pot containing manna, Aaron's rod, and Moses' stone tablets. The lid of the ark was made of pure gold and was called the mercy seat or seat of atonement in Hebrew. The wings of two cherubim on, on top of the lid overshadowed the mercy seat. This is a great symbol of God's great mercy in allowing us to enter his presence and was made possible through the blood of his son. And then... Uh, Hebrews 9 to 16, or 9, 6, 6 to 14 is commentary to help us understand that these verses were given on the overview page. Ooh, did I read those? But once we can understand the role of the Jewish high priest, we can understand these verses where Paul is pointing out that the Jewish high priests were each a figure of Jesus Christ and how he would come and bring a great and more perfect tabernacle that could make it so that we could all enter into God's presence rather than only the high priest having that privilege. And isn't that amazing that we can enter into the temple these days? Okay, verse 15. And it has a Joseph Smith translation, so I'm going to read the translated, the translation. There's like a word change. Okay, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the new covenant that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For the testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all, while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God hath enjoyed enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both tabernacle, the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law Purge with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things 
themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should suffer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the meridian of time hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Okay. So everything typifies of Christ. Everything points to Christ. Um, and he says, for this cause, or because of this, or because Jesus Christ has given us, has given his blood, we can all enter into the presence of God. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Note, Joseph Smith translation changes all references of testament to covenant. A mediator is one who goes between two parties and brings them into reconciliation and is through, and it is through Jesus Christ that we can be brought back to Christ's presence in a sanctified state and therefore receive the promise of eternal inheritance. A testator is one who has given a will or leaves something for others to inherit. So verses 16 and 18 explain the simple fact that no one can take hold of the promises of the testator until they die. Jesus Christ promised many things through his atonement and it was put into full effect when he died and was resurrected. So since the law of Moses was a shadow of things to come, sacrifices were also required within that law. Every blood sacrifice offered pointed to the great and last sacrifice. Okay. Um, and the Bible dictionary explains what sacrifice sacrifices is. It says, quote, soon after Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden of Eden, the Lord gave them the law of sacrifices, which included offering the firstlings of their flocks in a similitude of the sacrifice that would be made of the only begotten son of God. Therefore, I mean, thereafter, whenever there were true believers on the earth with priesthood authority, sacrifices, sacrifices were offered in that manner. And for that purpose, this continued until the death of Jesus Christ, which ended the shedding of blood as a gospel ordinance, end quote. Okay, from Bible Dictionary. Just, just so you know, I still would have done those sacrifices, but it would have been so painful for me to do those and the only reason why i would do them is because i love jesus christ and that is what he um asked of us back then but don't you know that i would have been like when is he coming you know like do i need to make this sacrifice this coming week because i am hoping he's gonna be here before that. <laughs> I would have been one of those peeps wishing upon the first coming so fast, which I know some of us now wish that the second coming would come. But at the same time, I kind of don't want the second coming to come. I'm a procrastinator. And so I feel like there would have been a lot more things that I would have wanted to do before he comes. So that's what I'm trying to do. 
all those last things, right? Okay, um, then we have Paul again teaches that all the sacrifices within the law of Moses and that was a part of the tabernacle were patterns of heavenly things or the fullness of the gospel for Christ did not literally enter the most holy place in the tabernacle, but he entered into the most holy place, which is the presence of God. The Mosaic sacrifices had to be made every year during the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, which pointed to the ultimate and eternal sacrifice that only needed to be made once. Also, note in verse 26 that the Joseph Smith translation changes in the end of the world to the meridian of time. Christ appeared the first time as a man of sorrows bearing the sins of many, but he will come a second time, not as a sin offering, but to receive the righteous. Mm. Love that. Okay. So now we're on Hebrews chapter 10. Moving right along. The chapter 10 is pretty long like chapter 9 was. Oh, but well, since we're taking a break for a second in between chapters, um, just want to let you know that Faust is finally feeling a little bit better. He went to school today. He did go yesterday too, but it was only for a half day. And then um, this weekend, meaning tomorrow, Saturday, November 4th, we have Clark's very first private screening of Renaissance Kid, the movie. And we're so excited. And right now I'm in the middle of pressing a bunch of hoodies and shirts and going to make some stickers. And it's just going to be awesome. We ordered some backdrops, and one of them came. The other one, well, we had to order the one that was done sooner um, locally because the other one that was coming from Atlanta, well, I don't think it's going to be here in time. So we'll see. They totally promised me it was going to be in my hand today. So, so far, my hands are empty. So I'm hoping to get some kind of a refund of something because they didn't come in time, and I had to go buy another one. Anyways, but I'm glad that I did, and that way it was able to, that way we had something, you know. Um, anyways, and then yesterday, yeah, I got back from the American film market, which he says that maybe it wasn't super worth it, but I think it was super worth it. <laughs> I think he probably expected a lot more from it. Um, and definitely he wanted to prepare more because then he could have gotten more out of it. But I think it was super worth it for him because he was able to do a lot of, uh, you know, counseling with, with Wes about the movie and talking about that. And then also talking to other people and then figuring out, you know, how to pitch your, your movie and trying to refine that and getting to talk to people about your movie, like, like, I think kind of being in that setting helps you. And now also, you know what he gets to say? He gets to say that he went to the American film market. So it's awesome. So, woo. Oh, I love it. Good job, Mitch. She's so cute. <laughs> Um, anyway, so those are my, those are my thoughts on it. You can ask him about 
what his thoughts were on the American film market, but I think it was super worth it for him to go. And I love supporting your dad in his passion projects. And we love supporting you guys in your passion projects. Um, because it, you just need passion projects. People need passion projects. Okay, um, here we go. We're going to read uh, Hebrews 10. Passion projects just make the world go round, you know? Okay, so for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers there unto perfect. So those sacrifices could never actually save them. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin, right? So they didn't, they would have no more desire to sin if they just continue to do those sacrifices. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body has thou prepared me. So he offered himself. So something else we were reading in the Book of Mormon yesterday for scripture study. And he said, and it says in there, let's see if I can find it quickly. Oh, I'm going to have to pause for a second. Okay, I found it. It was Jerem chapter 1, verse 11. It said, Wherefore the prophets and the priests and the teachers did labor diligently, exhorting with all longsuffering the people to diligence, teaching the law of Moses. So they were teaching this same concept that we're reading in Hebrews here. Um, and the intent for which it was given, persuading them to look forward unto the Messiah. So like looking forward. And believe in him to come as though he already was. And after this manner did they teach them. And it came to pass that by, do, by so doing, they kept them from being destroyed upon the face of the land. For they did prick their hearts with the word, continually stirring them up unto repentance. Okay, so, and that's Jerem chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. So I love the word prick, or like poke or let's see the the footnote does not switch the word um but it says and now as the preaching of the word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was good which was just yea, it had more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else which had happened unto them therefore alma thought it was expedient that they should try the virtue of the word of god so that was Alma 31.5. So the pricking of their hearts with the word is they were reading scriptures. And there was a statement, and I can't remember. Oh, it was during general conference. And she's like, it was a sister. And she said something like, pray until it makes a difference. Or pray until, I honestly cannot remember what she said, but. But in my mind, it's like, pray until you feel that power in your, in your spirit. Like, pray until you feel the power. I don't know. She said it so good. Anyways, it's from the April 2000. Just kidding. It's from the October 
2023 General Conference. So go listen to all the conference talks by sisters and it'll be there. And by the way, that's not very many talks, so don't feel super overwhelmed. <laughs> okay, so that was just like what was going through my mind. It's like when we uh, read scriptures, when we uh, read conference talks, and uh, when we do anything that can bring us closer to Christ, um, it's because we're trying to prick their hearts with the word right? Continually stirring them up unto remembrance. Remembrance of who? Jesus Christ, right? And what did he say? Remember me always. So it's like a continuous process and it helps because, and it helps um, keep us in that remembrance cycle because if we get distracted and we forget to do some of those things that will bring us closer to Christ, then, then we have to not start over, but then, then we feel bad. Then Satan gets us with those feeling bad feelings. Oh, I didn't read my scriptures for very long. Or or it has been a while since I read my scriptures. Or I haven't gone to a temple in a long time. And so then, you know, because of those because of that, then Satan can get in there. And then that's when it starts like, well you don't have to go to church. Because look, you didn't go to church for these past three weeks and it didn't matter. But it really does matter. Right? So anyways, um there you go, and you have to nourish it often. You have to nourish your testimony often. Okay, um, there's a quote from President Russell M. Nelson. It says an, about the infinite, an infinite atonement. It says, Jesus Christ's atonement is infinite without an end. It was also infinite in that all humankind would be saved from never-ending death. It was infinite in terms of his immense suffering. It was infinite in time, putting an end to the preceding prototype of animal sacrifice. It was infinite in scope. It was to be done once for all. End quote. Ooh, love that. Okay. And so now we have Hebrews chapter 10, verse 6, that we're going to continue to read. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast all had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. To do thy will, O God, above when he said, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Um, the way I read that means you didn't take pleasure in doing those sacrifices. So why do you want to go back to that? <laughs> right? Okay, number nine. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God, he taketh away the first that he may establish the second. So the first uh, ordinances or traditions or the first way they did things to establish the second, the, to the, the new law, okay? Um, by, the will, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ, Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Yeah, because they were just, they were offering these sacrifices and it doesn't take away your sin. It just reminds you of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which when we come unto Jesus Christ, he's the one who can take away our sins, right? And so it's just like the sacrificing was just a reminder of who you are actually supposed to think of. But I would probably be more distracted with all the blood everywhere 
than that. So again, still so glad I'm born in these latter days so that I didn't have to do that. Okay, verse 12. But this man had, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth to reign until his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, there were remission or forgiveness of these is there is no more offering for sin. The sin is forgiven, so nothing more is required. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Okay, hold on. Just to throw this out there, I'm just having this thought. So if the Jewish people didn't let go or they really loved their tradition because of all the things they had to do and then um, they didn't believe that Jesus Christ came. Now, this is just a question. Shouldn't they then still be offering up sacrifices and killing animals? Like, I don't get it. Like, who switched this? I don't know. Well, I guess I don't know hardly any Jewish people, so I can't really say. <laughs> but I might need to look this up. Do current Jews currently offer animal sacrifices to God? Now, think about this, okay? Because if they don't right now, who is the one that released them from that covenant, right? It would only be God, Jesus Christ. But if they were released from that covenant, I thought that they didn't believe in Jesus Christ and, and they don't believe that he came. And so how could they be released from that responsibility, that covenant that they still need to do those animal sacrifices? Do you see how confusing it could be? I need to look it up for sure, but it feels like all the Jewish people need to just be members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or be members of completely different faith than be a Jew because, or than being Jewish because nobody offers sacrifices these days. I mean, maybe there are people that still do that. I'm like super interested to know. Okay, I had to go look it up. It's just a Wikipedia thing that I found, but it says, with the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem by the Romans, the Jewish practice of offering korbanot, or I guess sacrifices, um, stopped for all intents and purposes, despite subsequent 
intermittent periods of small Jewish groups offering the traditional sacrifices on the Temple Mount. The practice is the practice effectively ended. So the practice ended because, and you know, I'm taking it from one source because this could get, you know, I could look it up in multiple ways and different places, but I'm taking it as just this one source. So, so please, just you know. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to be quick, really. So the so the practice ended because the temple was destroyed. That seems that seems kind of crazy. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like it makes sense that you would end something because of a location, but haven't they built Temples since, okay, see, and now I'm getting more ideas to keep looking things up. Okay, but I'm not going to go look that up because I need to finish this. Um, but it's, it seems a little bit wild. And so, like, why would they end it because the temple was destroyed instead of end it because Jesus Christ no longer requires that sacrifice? And it's because he came and they could continue in their tradition of just believing in Jesus Christ because now he has come and they don't have to do those sacrifices. Um, just on a side note, currently animal sacrifices is still regularly practiced in traditional African and Afro-American religions. So there you go. Apparently there are still some people who do that. Um, but that is kind of interesting. Okay. Okay. So as some Hebrew Christians were returning to the Jewish religion because of the pressure they were experiencing as Christians, Paul again repeats how incomplete the Jewish sacrifices are. Notice how he is repeating and emphasizing the same things over and over again. Why would they return to what could never take away their sins? Why would they leave the man who can truly save them? Right? So here's a quote by President Boyd K. Packer explaining the need of Christ's atonement with this explanation. Quote, if Christ had not made his atonement, the penalties for mistakes would be added one on the other. Life would be hopeless, but he willingly sacrificed in order that we may be redeemed. And he said, behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. End quote. So, just as the high priest pierced through the veil into the Holy of Holies, the saints of God can only enter his presence through the pierced body of, of Jesus Christ. It is through Christ that we can enter into our salvation. And verse, um, verse 22 invites us to come with fullness of hope, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. This references how the high priest would sprinkle blood upon the altar, but this action could never truly change someone. But the true sacrifice does change us and can remove an evil conscience or the guilt of sin. So the principle there is don't draw back. Okay. Okay. So verse 23, well, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for 
of judgment and fear, fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despiseth Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sower punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an holy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of affliction, of afflictions. Partly whilst we whilst ye were made a gazing stock or public spectacle by both reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst yet became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have a heaven, in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry now that now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul Ooh, i like that it's a little saying we could put on the wall but we are not of them who draw back so don't draw back um There's a, elder, a quote from Elder Dale G. Renlin. says, While God promises to freely forgive, willfully singing and counting on the Savior's mercy to allow easy repentance is abhorrent to God. Elder Richard G. Scott said, The joyful news for anyone who desires to be rid of the consequences of past poor choices is that the Lord sees weaknesses differently than he does rebellion. Whereas the Lord warns that unrepented rebellion will bring punishment when the Lord speaks of weaknesses. It is always with mercy. Mm, I love that. October 2016 General Conference. And he apparently uh, quoted Elder Richard G. Scott saying that per in his talk called Personal Strength Through the Atonement of Jesus Christ in the Enzyme or Liahona of November 2013. Love that. So don't sin on purpose. That's dumb. Okay. And bad for you. Like bad for your soul. You know how some things are bad for your body? Yeah, that's bad for your soul. Okay. Paul tells the Hebrews to remember and to think back to the days when they were illuminated. If you have forgotten, then remember again. Remember how you have fought before. Don't lose sight of that. Don't draw back. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland gave a BYU Devo talk titled After the Verse titled after verse 35 it is titled cast not away therefore your confidence and in it he says quote the reminder is that we cannot sign on for a moment of such eternal significance and everlasting consequence without knowing it will be a fight a good fight and a winning fight but a fight nevertheless paul said to those who thought 
a new testimony, a personal conversion, or a spiritual baptism experience would put them beyond trouble. Then came this tremendous counsel, which is at the heart of my counsel to you and the title of my remarks this morning. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. In LDS talk, that is to say, sure, it is tough before you join the church while you are trying to join and after you have joined. That is the way it has always been, Paul said. But don't draw back, he warned. Don't panic and retreat. Don't lose your confidence. Don't forget how you once felt. Don't distrust the experience you had, end quote. And that's Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, BYU Devo, devotional, March 2nd, 1999. And it's so good because Satan's just going to be the one there trying to convince us to, to leave, to not come back to sin on purpose to do all those things that will um, put a wedge or a wall between our, us and our relationship with Jesus Christ because that's his job he doesn't want us to love Jesus he doesn't want us to know Jesus he doesn't want us to do anything that Jesus said because he knows that it will just bring us closer to Jesus because our life will be easier than following him even though his message is that it's easier to follow him which is not it's darker more complicated and it's the worst so anyways i love that and okay guess what i found the quote that i was looking for and it was about prayer remember i was trying to say it was during the general conference of october 2023 it was a sister she said uh, unfortunately, the memory of eating the fruit is not enough. We need to partake again and again in ways that reposition our lens and connect this to the heavenly overview by opening up the scriptures, which are filled with light to chase away the darkness. Now, this part's the part that I really like. Staying on our knees until our casual prayer turns mighty. This is when hearts soften and we begin to see as God sees, end quote. Um, and this was from Sister Tamara W. Runia and General Conference, October 2023. Anyways, I wanted to make sure um, I was trying to find it and I'm so glad I turned right to it uh, or I should say clicked right to it. Um, so I was able to share it with you. So yeah, stay on your knees until you're casual prayer turns mighty and she talked about the overview effect also that kind of lessens our anxiety and you guys know about how i love staying in uh, high-rise buildings when we travel because it helps me have that overview effect and it helps me to realize that my problems are small and they're not that big and i just need to take a step back so anyway um we are now on hebrews chapter 11 page 7. okay guess what just happened we just had the uh private screening for renaissance kid and it was so surreal and amazing and fantastic to be there and experience that um kind of whole thing i don't even know how to explain it it was just awesome so proud of you hubbies for putting yourself out there putting your ideas and your uh and your dreams out there and making things happen like you're just an inspiration to all of us and i'm so glad that you were able to bring so many awesome people together for such a great cause 
it was just so great. And so congratulations on living your dream. This is everything you ever wanted, right? This is everything you ever wanted. Um, and it was just so neat to be able to be a part of it. And although we didn't get more than one picture together, <laughs> it's still great. It's still fantastic. And I am glad that we found that picture of us with the boys so that we could at least have that with us. But poor Flora, she was like roaming around somewhere. <laughs> she needed to go potty so many times. I was like, thumbs down for Flora wanting to go potty five times in a day. In one, like, three, what was it? One, she didn't have to go potty when you got there. So she went potty right before. So she basically needed to go potty once every 45 minutes or once every 40 minutes. And my feet felt it from my heels. And she's a, she's a good mate. It was so good to see her there. Um, and to have her be with us too and experience everything with us. So anyways, it was amazing. I keep getting texts and feedback from so many people that they loved it so much. And so that's awesome. Okay, so we're back. I could I could talk forever about Renaissance Kid and all the good that you've done with that. I'm just talking to you. Um, and I'm so glad that Finn was able to be part of it in the movie screen. And I'm glad that Fausti was able to actually help us. In, he was a little cameraman and also that we could throw some pictures up there. Uh, of him that was fun and anyways it was just it was just great and of course Flora was part of everything because she was literally one the whole time and just so sweet okay anyways but yeah next time for sure we're gonna hire a company to come in and do a bunch of the work like setting up and selling hoodies and whatever because I feel like I couldn't talk to as many people as I wanted to because I was busy doing stuff for the, for the thing so anyways so here we go Hebrews chapter 11 <laughs> let's focus right okay now faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen for by it the elders obtained a good report through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I love that. And I was going to say, that last night doing the whole movie thing was just a testament a further testament that we can do all things through Christ 
I can't tell you how many times uh, we had to try and figure things out and a lot of panic setting in always, but always with faith, knowing that through Christ, we can do anything and that he is there for us in all the things that we, that we want to do, that we, that we desire. And so the principle here was, uh, faith, of course. And what is your faith story? The faith of some of the Hebrew Christians is flickering as they face persecution. And Paul seeks to persuade and inspire them by remaining, reminding them that every righteous man and woman has had to operate by faith. They have each faced the unknown and pressed forward. Paul only has to make, to mention a small bit of the stories in this chapter and the Hebrews would know, would have known the rest because these by faith stories have been passed down through thousands of years. So will these Hebrew Christians retreat to the easier way or will they strengthen their armor and stand side by side with the link, with the likes of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and more. Oh, I love that. That's true. And I feel like there's not just one faith story. Like we have many faith stories. One might be like overarching throughout our lives, but I feel like we can have multiple faith stories. In fact, you can have a faith story every day. That's what we should seek for. Um, like what is your faith story today? Or what will your faith story be today? Right? And it's so interesting. Um, I was placing an order for the backdrops and I was, so I placed the order for a backdrop for the Renaissance kid for like earlier last week. So it was like Friday last, was it Friday last week? Yeah. Friday last week. And I know already that was super last minute, but the guys were like, yes, we can do it. They were trying to tell me that we can do it. Anyways. So I hadn't seen the tracking. I hadn't seen the tracking. And then finally on what was it Wednesday I was like okay I have not seen a tracking number and I need to get something and if I don't get a tracking number I'm gonna be wigging out and so and and if we don't have a backdrop I'm gonna be even more sad because the backdrop is everything you guys like <laughs> anyway like that's what everybody does with the screening they have a backdrop or whatever and it's just the perfect setting anyway so I was trying to get the backdrop and dad didn't even want me to get it because it's so expensive, but it was still worth, completely worth it, over the top worth it. Anyway, but um, I remember placing an order for the other backdrop that we were going to use um, because we were ordering a different one and the guy gave me like a really good deal and whatever. Um, and we were going to kind of Jimmy rig a backdrop and it just doesn't look as good as the one that I ordered, but it was going to be, it was, it was still going to work out and it would be something, right? If we didn't get the other one. And I distinctly remember while giving my credit card number, the Lord just telling me like, why are you doing this? You know that you're going to get your backdrop in time. And he's like, I told you to be still and know that I am God. Because literally, there would only be able to be a miracle happen for it to come on time. 
And I was like, yeah, but, but I need to order it so that I can feel peace because although I trust him completely, I was, I knew that I was going to be even more stressed out if I didn't have something already and in hand, you know, and it was my own fault that I didn't order it soon enough. I should have ordered it so soon, but you've just been so busy, you know, anyway, but I distinctly remember that he was like, don't place the order for it because the miracle will be even better if you don't. And I was like, I was like, I have to, I have to place the order and know that it's just gonna, that we'll have something, right? Anyways, I remember on Friday, so Wednesday happened, Thursday came and they actually finished printing it and everything and I had it in my hand and I could finally breathe and be like, okay, like everything's going to be fine. And, but they still hadn't given me a tracking number and from the other place. And I was like, oh, I guess it's just going to have to be that way. You know, I just won't get the other one and we'll set it up and. And because they were saying it's going to be next day air. So if it's next day air, I, that means I need to have it in hand. And they said I would have it in November 3rd. Anyway, so then on Friday, I still have nothing. Like, I don't have a tracking number Thursday. I don't have, but you know what? I didn't have to be mean and yell at anybody. I didn't have to, because normally that's what I would be doing. Um, and I didn't have to keep hounding them because I had so many other things to do that I was able to just do that. Anyway, I got a tracking number on Friday, and it did not update till like midnight. But the tracking number said I would get the backdrop that I really loved and wanted on Saturday. And I was like, there is no way. I'm like, that is amazing that those people did that and pulled through, you know, and only because the Lord helped them. And because I know that God was helping us out and I was just like holy smokes I can't believe I'm gonna get this backdrop at 12 on Saturday and that's like the perfect time I need it like it's so funny because we talk about so much the 11th hour for things of like when we repent in the last minute but I would think I would want to say that the Lord is like masterful at last minute saves. You know what I mean? Like last minute miracles, last minute saves. Like he stopped uh, Abraham from killing Isaac when at the last minute, <laughs> right? And when did he save the Hebrew, uh, the, the, who was it? The Jews crossing um, for Moses. When did he save Moses and his people at the last minute when they're getting chased like yeah everybody and their moms are praying for like uh something to help them and save them and at the last minute and so the Lord can provide for us at the last minute and I just I'm glad that I placed that order because I am human and have anxiety and struggle with that and struggle with believing the lies that Satan tells me about not having done things in time because I get that from him and everybody else. And so I was able to have that peace, but I didn't want that backdrop. 
And so to see that the Lord provided at the last minute, the backdrop I wanted, the backdrop that looks so good, and the backdrop we used just means the world. But, you know, somebody who doesn't care about stuff and thinks the backdrop is not anything big, that builds my faith in him. Because he provided for me when, when I needed it the most, you know. And that was what I needed that day, yesterday. And, and he was there. And so, anyways. Okay. Um, we're still on page seven. But we get to go to breakfast at Justin's house and our DP. And so we are going to go. But I did also want to end with, I have an amazing presidency. And when I reached out and asked if anybody wanted to go, instead for me, Corey said she would. And I was like, she's the best. And that's how a friend needs to be. And that's how I strive to be. Like, I want to be a friend like they are to me. Anyways. Okay, gotta go by. Okay, um, we are back. That breakfast over there with the with Dave and with Justin at Justin's house was so fun. And Flora and Kingsley were able to play so good. And then um, Kingsley's little sister, yet older than Flora, um, Shay played with Flora too, and. They were having such a fun time. So it was super fun. Okay. So here we go. We are still on chapter 11 of Hebrews. Okay, and we're talking about faith. And Elder David A. Bednar explains that growing faith requires three elements. Assurance or confidence or substance, action acting upon the assurance or hope, and evidence or proof. Okay, so we know that we've been learning the equation for building a testimony from Redheaded Hostess, which I'm sure she got that from here. So there is a talk called Substance of Faith, and it's on the churchofjesuschrist.org, so go look that up. And it's the helix of faith is what that's called. So let's, let me read that to you from Elder David A. Bednar. It says, faith as the assurance of things hoped for looks to the future. We stepped into the darkness with assurance and hope. And we are received, or, and we received evidence and confirmation as the light in fact moved and provided the illumination we needed. The witness we obtained after the trial of our faith is evidence that enlarges and strengthens our assurance. Assurance, action, and evidence influence each other in an ongoing process. This helix is like a coil, and as it spirals upward, it expands and widens. These three elements of faith, assurance, and action, and evidence are not separate Oh, sorry. These three elements of faith, assurance, action, and evidence are not separate and discrete. Rather, they are interrelated and continuous and cycle upward. And the faith that fuels this ongoing process develops, envelops, or sorry, develops, evolves, and changes. 
as we gain, as we again turn and face forward toward an uncertain future, assurance leads to action and produces evidence, which further increases assurance. Our confidence waxes stronger, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. End quote. Mm. So good. Elder David A. Bednar, September 2007, Enzyme. So what was really nice about having Dave stay with us or just knowing Dave in general is that he is not afraid to talk about God. And um, I love that how courageous he is of sharing his faith with others. And he, and what's nice is to see that in somebody else aside from members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And to know that that is something that he does is pretty awesome. And seeing that he's an actor, you know, in the industry, if you will, um, is really refreshing. And something that also stood out is the fact that like, because he's so kind and so nice, other people around him tend to be that way. And, and I think that's what it is about Christians. You know, like if we are truly trying to be like Jesus Christ, we will be able to shine that light and be that light for others that others need. And I know our boys loved having Dave around and it was so much fun and they had better attitudes because he was here and it was awesome that way. Um, but also kind of made me think like, and just like overall other Christians and, and reading Hebrews and all these scriptures about other Christians, I'm like so curious now to go to another church. I would prefer Baptist because it seems like they have really awesome music, but it would be neat to have to go to other churches. Uh oh, poor Flora. Okay, sorry, but she's good now. Um, anyway, so I was saying that I think it'd be fun to go to other churches. Like we'll go to our ward, but then we'll go to like another church just to kind of get that extra, you know, cause it's, cause I feel like the Sabbath day is just such a great day to recharge your batteries and everything and just you know where do we get that power is from Jesus Christ and so the more we can talk about him the more we can read about him the more we can get to know him the more we can expose ourselves to experiences that will bring us closer to him the better we are for it you know and since you can't go to the temple on Sunday it could be fun to go to another church with some other friends or whatever you know so anyways I was thinking that the other day, actually yesterday, and I was telling dad that. And so if you see us trying to go to another church just to see what it's like, then you'll know, you'll know why. And it's because other Christians are awesome and they talk about Jesus too. And I want to see how they talk about Jesus and all the things. So, and since we have the priesthood in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, then I know I don't ever have to go anywhere else for my saving ordinances, 
but I can always join other people talking about Jesus. It's like having more friends who are Christian and you can never have too many Christian friends, I believe. So, and I believe you can learn something from everyone. So there you have it. Okay, so we're going to read, I'm going to continue. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the, the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, a true and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned, but now they desire a better country that is an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tri tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that, Isaac, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. According to, the God, to that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Faith Isaac, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was a was a dying, blessed. What? Wait. By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, <laughs> blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the part parting of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was proper, was a proper child and they were not afraid And the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Okay, so we're going to pause there. So it seems that after defining what faith was, or what faith is, I should say, Paul decides to give example after example of faithful women and men who put forth who, or who put faith into action in their lives and and then he is still telling their stories to show how they acted 
on their hopes and then received evidences that proved their faith. For example, so Enoch received a great evidence. He was translated. But that incredible evidence would have been preceded by countless acts of faith. Noah was warned of God, so he built an ark. And his act of faith did not receive the evidences until the rains began. But they did begin. The Hebrews could learn from both of these stories, of course. They would love to be translated. But do they have the faith it takes to lead to that kind of evidence? And just imagine the persecution Noah experienced, but he still built the ark. He remained true through every plank and every sliver. Oh man, can we just say that I can't even see slivers to take them out? So, and I'm not as old as Noah. So imagine his hands and his wife, right? Okay. Um, and then Paul continues and points out person after person and how every story is a by faith story and now living thousands of years later we could add so many more stories to these we could add stories from the book of mormon from church history from our own families from our own lives what is our faith story i love it okay so there's this quote by president spencer w kimball he says quote in faith we plant the seed and soon we see the miracle of the blooming men have often misunderstood and have reversed the process they would have the harvest before planting the reward before the service the miracle before the faith paul speaking to the hebrews said by faith noah being warned of god things not seen as yet moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house so as yet there was no evidence of rain and flood his people mocked and called him a fool his preaching fell on deaf ears his warnings were considered irrational there was no precedent never had it been known that a that a deluge could cover the earth how foolish to build an ark on dry ground with the sun shining and life moving forward as usual but time ran out the ark was finished the floods came the disobedient rebellious were drowned the miracle of the ark followed the faith manifested in its building End quote. Ooh. And that's from a book called Faith Proceeds the Miracle. And then uh, President Henry B. Eyring says, No charge in the kingdom is more important than to build faith in youth. Each child in each generation chooses faith or disbelief. Faith is not an inherent, wait, faith is not an inheritance. It is a choice. End quote. Ooh, I love it. And that was President Henry B. Eyring, Inquire of the Lord, remarks at an evening with Elder Neil A. Maxwell, February 2nd, 2001. Hebrews 11:28. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of, the, of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should teach them. 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jeff, Jeff, wait, Jephthah, Jephthah, who's that? 
of David also, uh, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Huh? <laughs> I'm all confused. What aliens? Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured not, accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better res resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They warned in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they could not be made perfect. So they couldn't be made perfect yet because Christ hadn't been born, but they still did everything out of faith, right? Also, I'm confused about the aliens. What? Turn. Okay, it's verse 34. Turned to flight. Uh, verse 34, at the end of it, it says, Turn to flight the armies of the aliens. That thing needs a footnote, for sure. <laughs> I feel like, all of a sudden, it is now the movie ID4. Or Independence Day, not ID4. Well, I guess, is it called ID4? Anyways. So, maybe Redheaded Hostess has something to say about the aliens part. Okay, so after giving a hall of fame of specific saints who had exercised faith in difficult situations, Paul gives a list of many fruits of faith which have been present in different people in the scriptures. It is not only happy miracles that are evidences of faith, but even acts of violence and persecution against saints are evidences of their faith, for it is their faith that helped them endure. Their hope in what lies ahead in the next life is their strength while they suffer. Paul cannot guarantee that the Hebrew Christians will not endure suffering or death, but he can help them hold on to their faith and then press forward no matter what may come. The Joseph Smith translation of verse 40 emphasizes how suffering can actually perfect us, God having provided some better things for them through their sufferings, for without suffering, they could not have not be made perfect, end quote. So I think I can, I can see how that is. I mean, it's sad, but... Um, usually what happens is through our trials, we can either grow closer to Christ or we can alienate ourselves from him. Maybe that's where the word alien comes in. Um, because through our suffering, we reach up, we reach out, we reach for help, and he's there. And, and because he's there, we can feel his presence in our lives through those trials, and it brings us closer to him because... We can feel him there helping us every step of the way. Now, if you decide to alienate yourself from him, then it's different. And then you don't see him there, even though he's been there the whole time. Um, 
Because remember, he said he would never leave us comfortless. And when we especially need comfort, he is especially there. It takes us being uh, humble to see things as they really are. Okay, so they didn't talk about being alien. They didn't talk about any aliens there. So that's sad because I am curious about this, this alien business. Maybe they called them aliens because they alienated it themselves against God, even though they knew God. And so they call them like, those are the aliens, the people that alienated themselves from God. But maybe we should make a movie about that. <laughs> aliens and the Israelites or something. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Okay. Um, We'll be certainly taking a lot of liberties there. Okay. So that's serious scriptural speculation. Okay. The three yeses. Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Oh, I love that verse. In fact... I know I've, I've seen that. It's a very popular scripture. Okay. Uh, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, or compare your sufferings to his, that endured such a con contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. So Christ resisted sin even when he bled from every pore. Okay. And verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Okay. So Paul points out that we, that they have been surrounded by a cloud of witnesses like those he had just mentioned. A cloud suggests a vast multitude or something that encompasses you. Isn't this true for all of us? We have also been compassed about with witnesses or faithful men and women throughout every age of time. And with technology today, we are encompassed even more, right? Because we can access those people all the time. Um, and, you know, things that come to mind are general conference talks from general authorities. Plus, of course, we have the 12 apostles of the Lord and President Nelson, especially the prophet, okay? And it is a compass. We are compassed about with good uh with good men and women who testify of Jesus Christ all the time and are trying to teach us how to have a better connection with Christ and have a better relationship with him. So Paul then invites us to lay aside every weight and run with patience the race that is set before us. He compares life to a race, but not a sprint. It is a race that requires patience and endurance. So any weights a runner may carry will make it so much harder so look at those examples of men and women of great faith and let go of the things 
that are weighing you down spiritually. So the scripture verse one has been quoted many times in general conference. Here are some of these quotes. Okay, awesome. So this is from President Henry B. Iron, 2016 general conference, April general conference. It says, quote, you will also find that the Lord puts helpers by your side on your right and on your left and all around you. You do not go alone to serve others for him. He did that for me tonight. The Lord arranged a cloud of witnesses, both in words and in music, to combine and multiply the power of what he wanted me to say. Mm. End quote. Nice. Okay, then Elder Richard G. J. Maines, October 2013 General Conference, he says, quote, The Apostle Paul stated, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us on this earth is an endurance race filled with obstacles. In order to honorably and successfully finish the race and return to our Heavenly Father, we will need to pay the price of dedication, perseverance, and self-discipline. We need to get into spiritual shape. We need to develop spiritual stamina. We need strong testimonies that will lead to true conversion and as a result, we will find within ourselves the inner peace and strength needed to endure whatever challenges we may face, end quote. I love that. Um, and it's true. And remember, the race is not against each other, but against sin is what Elder, uh, Elder Holland says. Or is that Elder Dieter at Uthdorf? I don't remember. One of them. So Paul again pleads with the Hebrew Christians not to abandon Christ and teaches that it was for them that Christ endured all he did. And if they would consider what he has suffered, they will find that they have not even come close to their own sufferings for he resisted unto blood, even to the point where he bled from every pore. Just as a loving and attentive father will chasten his children, Heavenly Father will chasten us. And just like parents chastening a, a sign, or just like a parent's chastening is a sign of love and care, so it is with our Father in heaven. But in comparison, our earthly fathers only chasten us for a few days or for a short time. But God has been chastening us since the pre-mortal world so that we might be partakers of his holiness, which is exaltation. So this is what Elder Christofferson teaches about this. He says, quote, I would like to speak of one particular attitude and practice that we need to adopt if we are to meet our Heavenly Father's high expectations. It is this, willingly to accept and even seek correction. Correction is vital if we would conform our lives unto a perfect man, that is, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul said of divine correction or chastening, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Though it is often difficult to endure, truly we ought to rejoice that God considers us worth the time and trouble to correct. Okay, end quote. Sorry, Elder D. Todd Christofferson, April 2011 General Conference. It's kind of true. Well, kind of. It's always true. That's true because it's from Apostle of the Lord. But what I was going to say is, I can kind of see that in real life. Like as parents, when we ground you or when you have a consequence that we are actually 
giving you because of an, a choice that you made. It's not because we want to make your life miserable, but it's because we want to teach you about those consequences that come when you don't make a good choice. And when I say don't make a good choice, I mean like a choice that's going to help you in your life, right? Because we see you guys doing things all the time. But when we start seeing your actions that are not going to lead you to uh, build your life in a positive way, then we're going to say something. We're going to speak up, you know, and you're in charge of your choices and actions and everything, I guess, up until we notice that you might be going off the wrong side. Because, you know, when we're, when it's kind of like when you're learning how to drive, you and I'm going to, I'm putting this out there because Finn's going to be turning 15 in January and he's going to want to start learning how to drive. So it's like that, you know, we're going to give you uh, some guidance and you're going to take driving lessons and we're going to give you some guidance when we're in the car with you of how to drive responsibly and safely. If you start swerving into the middle lane or you start going too fast or you start trying to do something that we know is going to jeopardize your safety, then we're going to chime, we're going to chime in. We're going to say something. We're going to try and make you understand why that's not a good idea because ultimately we want you to have a successful driving experience, a successful learning um, uh, time, learning how to drive. Uh, we don't want you to get in any wrecks. We want you to be responsible anyway. And so it's like that, right? We're going to note when we notice something, if we see something, we're going to say something. And so sometimes it might come off a little bit like telling you what to do. But at the same time, it really is telling you what to do because we have been there and we know that what experience you might be having a little bit. And so we're trying to help you out. So it's not because we're trying to make life miserable. We're just trying to help you become who you want to become, right? Because we're on your team. Okay, uh, suddenly, suddenly we need to go to the bathroom. And so we're going to pause right there because we've already walked two miles and that's probably okay for now. So we're going to leave off on Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, page 10. Oh boy, we have some exciting news. We got a offer on our home yesterday and apparently while they were watch looking over the weekend... They were so excited about it and made an offer yesterday. Anyways, I'm just so grateful for all like that God's doing for us. He's just there for us, you know, because he knew that we needed that so big time, big time, because I'm like, we have literally mortgaged our home for the money and we're paying on it. And now we have zero people in our home. And nobody is paying, like nobody's paying us to rent the home because it was totally empty. We had to kick out our renters so that we could hopefully sell it faster, we thought, if we had no renters. And then we got zero showings for like a couple weeks and that was sad, which I was hoping that Ken would fix the thing back then, but I guess he never ripped it up. And so anyways, everything happens for a reason. But so we got an offer yesterday and 
anyways, we accepted it and we're so excited. And guess who's the one doing the offer from the other side? The other realtor is Dwayne Cutler. And I'm like, Shh, wouldn't want anyone else to have our money more than than their family because we love their family so much. So I'm super glad that that has worked out the way it has. Um, and I'm gonna be praying for every step of the way because it's always a process when you're trying to buy a house, all the things that you need to do and steps that you need to take. So they're gonna have inspection tomorrow. And anyway, also then we got something in the mail, some tax stuff saying we owe 10 grand because of some mistake that we didn't do and didn't include. And so of course, as if we need that, but then we got another thing in the mail from the tax company, from the from Utah State Tax Commission or whatever, and it was a check for $4,500, and I'm like, holy smokes, that's like the exact amount that we would need to cover our mortgage for the amount of time that we have had it empty with without anyone, so anyways, God is so good. He really cares about us and the things that we're going through and the things that stress us out. And I'm sure that it's been stressing Clark out even more than me, even, even more for your dad than for me, because I think that's just like his, that's just his thing. And the way I get stressed out is just like talking and I get stressed out outwardly. Like I'll with, when I get stressed out, I usually voice it and I'm so mean sometimes, but I'm working on it. And, but poor dad, he looks calm as like, so tranquil, like nothing is happening. It's so fine. But internally he's like dying and it's torturing his body and his body really takes a hit. And so anyways, we, we all have something to work on, but, but anyway, so the, so because of the, those all the stressors and then we had the movie was fantastic this weekend we got to see so many actors and actresses that were in the movie and our crew and it was so crazy like i hadn't slept for three days and it was just it was i mean you know self-inflicted because i like invented the whole hoodies and t-shirts thing plus all the other things like on social media and then texting people and then doing tickets and anyways but it was amazing and it turned out fantastic everybody was so excited about the movie of course i mean we knew that right but nobody else did yet and so we're just you know seeking distribution for renaissance kid right now and hopefully we'll sell that soon too and then <laughs> and then we'll be back at like normal calm level right anyways but it's always an adventure it's always fun and I'm so glad that dad got to live his dream of making a movie and seeing it on the big screen. And I mean, technically he's still living the dream because he now has made a movie under his belt. He has that under his belt. Um, so we just got to sell it so that everybody will know that he made an awesome movie because everybody will want to watch it. Okay. Um, we are in Hebrews. What did I say we were in? Sheesh. I don't even know. Page, I think we're on page 10. Oh, yeah, I think so. Oh, yes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. That's right. Anyway, so many great things happening. Oh, and Dad shared his testimony um, on Sunday, and that was 
so neat. I had to take Fleur to the bathroom, of course, before it was supposed to be time. So I took her potty before church. And then, of course, in the middle of church, she's trying to go potty. But she's supposed to wait till the end of church, literally like an hour. And, I mean, we're even late. You know what I mean? Anyway, so, but she couldn't wait. So we had to go in the middle of testimony meeting. And Dave uh, Pelleggi got to come with us. And he says it was a great experience. And it was... And dad said it was kind of fun to see every, like all the people that had seen the movie and seen Dave in the audience that they came up to him and were like, Hey, you did a great job. So it was kind of fun. Like if anybody was ever feeling welcome at a church, uh, um, he was the one he could not feel more welcome than at that, at, than in our ward, because we invited almost everybody in the ward. And I say almost everybody, because there were some peeps that I forgot to invite and I'm so sad that I forgot to invite them. So anyways, um, so yeah, dad, uh, went up and shared his testimony because Faust had asked him, um, if he was going to share his testimony and anyways, it was so cute. And dad said that he was up there because Faust had inspired him to go share his testimony because he said, when was the last time that you shared your testimony, dad? <laughs> and I guess dad couldn't remember. So he figured he would go up. So anyways, that was that was great. I'm so glad. And okay, here we go. Hebrews 12, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endureth, if he endureth chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. So that just means like one whose father is not part of their lives. Okay. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which connect, corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastisement, or sorry, and now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are ex exercised thereby. Okay, so we are chastised because we are loved. And so sometimes it's funny because I'll tell Finn or Faust, um, you know, why they did something bad and why it's bad and why we need to be better. And, you know, part of the lecture and stuff. And they're like, stop making me feel bad. <laughs> you remember that? Well, if we don't help you realize the mistake that you have made by having you feel that that pain of, of making that mistake, then how are you ever going to change, right? You need to realize that you made a mistake in the first place so that you can have the opportunity to change. And because we've been there, we've all been there, um, we know what it takes and we know, um, we know that change is hard, but you know, it's gotta be, we gotta keep repeating the same chastisement 
or keep making you feel bad until you realize, oh, I don't like that feeling of doing that, right? I think sometimes this world has a different um, view of what things can make us feel bad. I just was watching this trailer for a new Marvel series, which we love Marvel, of course, but you know, some of those things have now been going downhill. Anyway, like one of the, the trailers is for this very violent character. And we see this character do kind of a good deed because he gets mad because he sees someone being a mean person and a, and a bully. But then you see that character being beat up to death and then you feel bad for him now, all of a sudden. And you're just like, what? What is going on here? And it's supposed to be this trailer about this person who's just has all this anger pent up and the way that they release their anger is by violence. Now, hello, there's no excuse for abuse. That's what we always say, right? So, and that's what we believe. So there's tons of abuse going on, physical abuse going on. And I think sometimes in this world, we're like, oh, we better not speak like this, but physical abuse is like, okay, because it's not mental or some kind of psychological abuse. Like now we look at abuse, psychological abuse or uh, verbal abuse as, as being really bad. But if you physically abuse somebody, like that's better, like that's okay. What? Anyway, so there were, I was reading some of the comments and some of the comments were just like, wow, so glad we have finally gotten some Marvel movies with some adult violence. MA14, and I was like, are you kidding me? People are wishing for more violence like this? Like, I couldn't, I could, I had to turn it off. I couldn't keep watching that kind of violence. I was like, this is horrible. Because um, what kind of person, like, you want to watch out for those kind of people who want that kind of violence. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between robots killing robots, okay? They're robots. It's fine, right? But when humans start treating humans this way, obviously it's a movie and obviously it's a lot of special effects because we've just finished watching a movie and making a movie. So we know that nobody got injured or hurt. But when you portray it like this, you make it seem like it's okay. And it's not okay. And like there is something wrong with the people that want more violence. And you want to stay away from those people because who knows what they can do when they're mad. You know what I mean? So anyways, okay. Um, okay, and then verse 12 to 17 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So yeah, like watch attentively for yourself and others, okay? And watch how you're going to be tempted because you don't want that trouble springing up inside of you, okay? Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of, rep of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Okay, so 
So yeah, sometimes, or no, not sometimes, all the time we need to be lifting, lifting and helping others. And you got to watch yourself because Satan will be there trying to get that anger in you. And the real anger, where do we place that anger? We've talked about this. Enmity is placed between us and Satan, not us and another human. Because he would have us pointed to another human. But it's between us and Satan, not anybody else. And so if you want to get him back and you're trying to get him good, then serve God. That is what Paul is trying to say. Paul encourages the saints to watch out for those among them who are spiritually lame or in need of strengthening. That's where we can bless people, right? He reminds them that Esau sold his birthright and then regretted it later. So we should be doing all that we can to lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Elder Neil A. Maxwell says, you and I all know individuals who do much quiet good by following the scriptural injunction about lifting up the hands that hang down. Some of those hands which hang down, once grasps the iron rod and then let go, having simply given up. Hence, those hands need to be reached for, end quote. Love that. Elder Neil A. Maxwell, September 1998, and then if somebody hadn't helped me and lifted my hands and reached for my hands, they would still be hanging down and I don't know where I would be. So I am so grateful for that sister who helped me and for those good friends who were around me that helped me too. Okay, um, I just forgot my headphones in the car, so I'm sorry about the loud noise. Also, I'm still recording on my old phone. And I'm excited to try the new phone to see what the difference is going to be. Because I promise, I think the sound quality is a lot better in that phone too. So we will all be grateful for that. Okay, so we are in verse 12. It says, wherefore lift... Oh, verse 12 in Hebrews... Sorry, verse 18 in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're on page 10. It says, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched... And that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they had heard, entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned, or thrust through the thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Okay, so this is when Moses was coming from Mount Sinai. And let me finish. Okay, so there's a little bit more. There's commentary, but up until verse 29. So I'll just read the whole rest of the thing. Okay, but ye are come unto Mount Sinai, unto my Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if ye escape not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. 
whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Okay, so he's talking about the last days here. Okay, so choose the side that will triumph is the principle here. So Paul reminds the Hebrew Christians of the warning given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. So I guess there were some rules about touching the mountain. But this barrier has now been removed. So why would the Hebrew Christians want to retreat to a religion where there are barriers? He tells them, but ye are come unto Mount Sion, to the great, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Elder Bruce Armakonke explained that the church of the firstborn is the church which exists among exalted beings in the celestial realm, but it has its beginnings here on earth. If the Hebrew Christians wanted to justify to themselves that Christ is just another martyr and martyrs have long existed in the Jewish religion, Paul tells them that Jesus's blood speaketh better things than that of Abel, the first martyr. He warns them not to refuse Christ, whose voice will yet again shake the earth and the heavens in the last day, and his kingdom will be will not be moved. So choose which side you want to be on. A lot of talks come to mind, like, choose you this day whom you will serve. I think there, I mean, that's a scripture, but like, that's also a talk. Um, And then Paul is calling them to find the faith they once had and choose the side that will ultimately triumph. So Elder Bruce R. McConkie says, to all of this well known to his Hebrew brethren, Paul alluded and then drew his doctrinal conclusions. No longer is there a restraining barrier to keep people from seeing and communing with their God. The mountain is no longer Sinai, but Zion. And all those who have cleansed and perfected their souls shall be welcomed on the heavenly mountain and in the heavenly city, the city of exalted beings. And there in that heavenly realm where the saints shall see and know as Moses alone did in Israel shall be found such might display splendor and omnipotence that the doings of Jehovah on Sinai incomprehensibly glorious as they were shall be but a blurred image in comparison end quote Woo. so who's on the Lord's side who is another talk or another quote that comes to mind who's on the Lord's side who and again you know I feel for these for these Hebrew Christians because changing your your traditions and things like that would be so hard so i get it but at the same time it's like you don't have that fullness and you're still you know you're just going to what you know but not even what's comfortable anymore i mean clearly there's barriers and things there and isn't it funny how in our in our day when people have chosen to 
to follow the commandments. Other people see them as restrictions, as borders, if you will, barriers. And we, like, I don't see them as barriers. I see them as um, guidelines and uh, as things that will help us because if we don't if we don't use those tools that we've been given if we don't follow those commandments then we will be trapped by the adversary and sadly the adversary is everywhere like that's the only reason why the narrow path is so narrow because satan's path is so wide <laughs> and so but if you don't if you don't stay on that straight and narrow then you won't experience those freedoms that come with um, with being on that straight and narrow path, with keeping those commandments, you know. So, anyways, that's awesome. Love. I love Paul's excitement and just determination to try and continue to teach those those Hebrew Christians because it would be hard to be a missionary there, a prophet there. Okay, now Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertain, entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bond with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Okay, so I think it's trying to say like have... Have that uh, empathy. Have empathy towards others and sympathy towards others. Put yourself in other people's shoes so that you can suffer with them or so that you can mourn with them, right? And then for marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So let your conversation be without covetedness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, not, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And I believe that to be like 110% true. The Lord has said he would never leave us comfortless, and that he would never leave us. And so if he's never going to leave us, does it matter what choices we're making? It, it Well, it does. But what I'm saying is, will he leave us based on the choices we're making? No. He will be there by our side, step by step, trying to get us to make those better choices, to, to make those steps toward him, because that is what he wants. That's like he loves us. And so he's going to continue trying to get us um, to have a relationship with him. And with Heavenly Father. And so he's never going to give up on us. He's going to do what it takes to help us. And I love that. Okay. Um, so as Paul closes his letter. Okay. He admonishes them to live as Christians should. In verse 2, he instructs the saints to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares or without knowing it. We may not be able to fully understand who it is we are helping. Sister Linda K. Burton quoted Hebrews 13.2 in her talk that pled with us to care for the refugees just before she read verse 2. She said, 
we have organized a relief effort called I Was a Stranger. It is our hope that you will prayerfully determine what you can do according to your own time and circumstance to serve the refugees living in your neighborhoods and communities. This is an opportunity to serve one-on-one in families and by organization to offer friendship, mentoring, and other Christ-like service, and in one of many ways sisters can serve. And is one of many ways sisters can serve. In our prayerful efforts, we could apply the wise counsel of King Benjamin, given to his people after he exhorted them to care for those in need. See that all these things are done in wisdom and order. Sisters, we know that reaching out to others with love matters to the Lord. Consider these scriptural admonitions. The stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. End quote. Oh, that was so good. I remember that talk. Sister Linda K. Burton, April 2016, General Conference. So in verse 5, the word conversations is better translated manner of life. Your disposition or what your way or what your life communicates outwardly. He's saying that as a Christian, you cannot be one of those. One of, wait. That... You cannot be one that others see as constantly seeking for more money. Instead, let your conversations show that you know God will never leave you. Your trust is in him rather than worldly securities. So true. Okay. And now we're going to read verse 9. No, verse 7. Remember that. Is it for real? Yeah. Remember them that which have the rule over you. Who have spoken who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them, that have been occupied therein. So it's funny. Um not a coincidence. I am currently writing a talk about diversification, spiritual diversification. So I love that there's that scripture that says, do not be carried away, carried about with diverse and strange doctrines because Satan is always there. Okay. And he says, verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Okay, like a gratitude journal. Come on. We know that that is a wise idea. Gratitude journal or just always giving thanks, you know. But let's write things down. I need to, I need to start with the gratitude journal. I think I'm going to go get ourselves some fun journals or make them or something. Anyways. But to do good and to communicate, forget not for which, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. 
that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Okay, so submit yourself, meaning yield to those that watch for our souls. Who watches for our souls here in our ward? I would suggest the bishop. I would include our leaders. And I would include the prophet and his apostles. I would include our stake leaders. You know, they watch for our souls because they will have to give an account of their serving the Lord later. And so, so yeah, I mean, that includes me. Like, I'm going to be held accountable for those children that I have been able to have stewardship over. In fact, I'm going to put this here so that I can be held accountable even more. And you guys can ask me how it went. But there's a boy in our ward who his parents were living with his, with their parent. Well, so, okay, hold on. His dad was living with his dad in our ward. So he's living with grandpa and grandma, right? And anyway, I don't know if they're still living in our ward, but I feel like I need to do my part and ask the grandparents how they're doing with getting their grandchild to make sure that he's baptized, to make sure that he can have the Holy Ghost with them, with him wherever he goes, to have that guidance, that, that strength, that power that only the Holy Ghost can provide, and especially for our youth, you know, because they need it. They need Jesus Christ in their life, and especially that poor child because of what he's been through. His parents have been through a divorce. Anyway, so ask me about it, and I will let you know. Okay, um, and then, oh, and he lives on the corner of the street where the Cox live, okay? Just so you know. Okay, so Hebrews, uh, we're still in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. Pray, oh, hold on. There was a quote. It's from President Russell M. Nelson, BYU Speeches, September 2019. He says, Sometimes we as leaders of the church are criticized for holding firm to the laws of God, defending the Savior's doctrine, and resisting the social pressures of our day. But our commission as ordained apostles is to go into all the world to preach his gospel unto every creature. That means we are commanded to teach truth. In doing so, sometimes we are accused of being uncaring as we teach the Father's requirements for exaltation in the celestial kingdom. But wouldn't it be far more uncaring for us not to tell the truth, not to teach what God has revealed? It is precisely because we do care deeply about all of God's children that we proclaim his truth. We might not always tell people what they want to hear. Prophets are rarely popular, but we will always teach them the truth. End quote. And that was from BYU Speeches, September 2019. I remember that one. Or, you know what, I think they, he quotes himself or he... Or it's been quoted. Anyways, okay, verse 18. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the work, the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom of he come shortly. I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. 
They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Written to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy. Also, we are Italian. Uh, My sixth great-grandmother and grandfather are from Italy, and it has come down that their kids ended up marrying, well, one of, anyways, their kids ended up marrying someone from Spain because he moved to Spain, and then that moved to Spain, decided from Spain he was going to go to Peru, and so then that's how we come from Peru, but technically originated originated in Italy. And so I think that's so cool and kind of explains a lot of feistiness going on and why we have those similar characteristics to those Italians. And maybe why I love the fact that I want to go to Greece so much because it's over there, you know? Anyways, maybe I'm just being called over there to like find my ancestors that are further back because that's cool. Okay. Anyway, so um, these ceremonies were intended to be types of um, uh, types pointing believers to the atoning sacrifice of Christ. For example, the blood of the sacrificed animal was collected and carried outside the city wall. This was a type of foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus was taken out of the city gates in Jerusalem to be crucified at Golgotha. Golgotha, sorry. I'm like, why did I say it that way? Anyway, the hymn number 194, There is a Green Hill Far Away, echoes Paul's teachings. It says, There is a Green Hill Far Away. Oh, man. Without a city wall, where our dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. Paul mentions the stewardships that leaders have to watch for your souls and how they will account for these responsibilities. And that's true. Like, I feel like I need to go to that little boy's grandma's house and talk to her. But we've had not very good experiences talking to them in the past. So I'm a little bit scared, but I'm going to show up anyway and just, you know, do my best. As Christ is that great shepherd of the sheep, they must account to him how they are caring for his flock. President Russell M. Nelson once said this about one day giving an account to the Lord. Quote, one day each of us will give an account to the Lord. The awareness was, was evident in a serious conversation I had, or this awareness was evident in a serious conversation I had years ago with a dear friend facing the end of his mortal life. I asked him if he was ready to die. I'll never forget his answer. With courage and conviction, he said, my life is ready for inspection, end quote. Wow. I don't think I'll ever be able to say that. <laughs> that was uh, President Russell M. Nelson, October 2003 General Conference. Can we say that our life is ready for inspection? My room's not even ready for inspection, let alone my life. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for showing up here and for being part of our family. You're the best. I love you. And let's continue our connection with Christ every day. Also, just a little side note, today is November 9th and it's Hobie's 93rd birthday. And just thinking about him today and we're going to go to the temple today as a family to the Orem temple open house so that'll be super cool and just like a cool experience to be able to go 
there as a family um, and be able to think of Hobie also. Um, all right. I love you. Bye.